Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We are reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter, and we're here in the home stretch, the last few chapters of the book of Joshua. And things take another little bit of a turn here in this last section. We talked about this, I think it started back in chapter 20. There are these final important matters that just have to be taken care of after the division of the land. And today, looking at Joshua chapter 22, there is this uh, there's the speech that Joshua gives, and then there is the construction of this altar. And there is then at the end of the chapter here, this idea that there's going to, uh, there's going to have to be something done here with the priests. There's there's So there's a lot of this uh, story actually that we kind of have again, which is nice. We haven't really had lots of story in these final parts. It's been a lot of like lists and maps and things like this, but here the story continues things wrapping up and coming to a conclusion, at least of sorts, in the book of Joshua. And today, joining us, we have as our guest, we have Pastor Doug Minton, pastor uh, in Twin Cities, Minnesota. Welcome, brother. It's good to have you on. I think this is the first time that we have been on Thy Strong Word together, so it's a pleasure. Yeah, it is a definite pleasure to be on again. It, It has been a while. Yeah, I think I think we had you on back um, in the days of Whedon back in, oh, what was it, like 2018 or something like that? Yeah, it was towards the end of 2018, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So welcome back. Welcome back. And Thank and you. yeah, this is this is uh this is an interesting chapter, right? It's um the story the story picks up again and I mean in some ways it it kind of brings us back to like the first chapter of Joshua where Joshua is kind of dealing specifically with these Transjordan tribes and talking to them about their obligations. It's like back in, we're back in chapter 1. Just about and uh we have you know, there, there's a lot of backstory to this that hasn't been covered, not just in the book of Joshua, but, you know, even on by strong words, several months. So there'll be a little bit, a little bit of going back in the archives a bit to pull some of this stuff back out. Yeah, that, that's right. That's right. Yeah. All the stuff that we've had in the first 21 chapters, it's all, it's all building on this, right? You know, the, the work is done. They're returning home. And, and what are they returning home from? Well, all the stuff we've been talking about for <laughs> uh, the, re- the rest of the book. So, yeah. So certainly uh, we'll, make, we'll be making some references to what we have seen so far. But uh, interesting just too, though, like how with everything that's going on here and this idea of this altar that gets constructed, it is kind of pointing ahead, I think, also um, because we're going to see in the final chapter, right? There's this covenant renewal. And so there, there are these priestly activities, these um, these worship activities that are going on at the end of the chapter that seem to be too important uh, to be left out of the book. Right. All right. Well, let's let's go ahead and turn to the text then. It's a little bit of a longer chapter because, like I was saying in the intro, it's a, it's a kind of a couple different parts, a couple different things are going on here. So let's get started. And as we do, uh, Brother, would you say a prayer for us and for everyone reading along and listening along today? Sure. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and all its many blessings. And we thank you for giving us your word, even in these portions of your scripture that seem tediously long 
but we still see that there is great things to be learned from them. And as we come together today over Joshua 22, we ask you to send your spirit among us that we may be able to see what it is that you recorded this down for us to learn from it, and that we may find ways that it may be useful in our own lives. We ask all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. Well, let's go ahead and just read the first several verses as we just opened up up to the chapter here, figure out what the situation is. So we're looking at Joshua chapter 22 here in the English Standard Version, taking it from the top here in verse 1. At that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You've kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have not obeyed and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore, turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be very careful to observe the commandment that the law and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. All right. So, yes, we have, uh, like we were saying, you know, this the, the fulfillment, right, of their obligation, which he called upon them to fulfill back in chapter 1. They didn't just stay over there on the Transjordan side. They marched with their brothers to possess the Cisjordan, the west of the Jordan side. So, okay. The, the thing that's interesting here, right, is, is you have this um, this moment where we're back into the story, right? We're not just like kind of listing things or, or just kind of apportioning things. We're, we're going into the story. There's this powwow, this, this meeting between these guys. And um, it's just kind of interesting that like he's sending them home right now, right? Because, I mean, it, it says that there's rest, but I mean, they haven't taken possession of everything, right? That's right. And even when we get into the first chapter of the book of Judges, after Joshua has died, it still points out that the actual fulfillment of everything has not happened. But right. you know, they have they have taken over enough of it to where they have God has given them rest. Right. So yeah, and this is where we're gonna see this um, you know, later in chapter twenty three and chapter twenty four. There are these uh these mentions of having rest, right? Um, but it's not as if there's no more enemies. So what do we make of this rest? You know, what, what exactly is it supposed to mean and what, what doesn't it mean in this context here? I believe the rest here is that they have now occupy the area of the land that had been promised all the way back to Abraham. And now they at least have the borders secured so that there's no outside incursions coming in. Now they just have to turn to getting rid of the rest of the Canaanite tribes that are inside the land, which then, as I said, doesn't happen in the book of Judges. Even we get into 1 Samuel and David still having to fight to get rid of some of the tribes. Right, 
Right. Yeah, yeah, and we've we've kind of seen that you know when we were going through the the list of all the territory, you know, um, we had for example when it was talking about um, you know Dan, it was talking about um, Ephraim and Manasseh. That it was, it was particularly interesting in Ephraim and Manasseh, right? Because you know um, the territory of Joseph, right, was supposed to go all the way out to the sea, right, all the way out to the coast. But you know Ephraim, we remember uh, Ephraim and Manasseh went to Joshua, and they're like, hey, but um, those those uh, Canaanites down there in the plain, right? They've got the chariots of iron. That's kind of scary. Um, and so Joshua's like, okay, go up into the hill country, then clear the forest, and you can live up in the hills. So, right, like it's like you were saying, they, they've they've kind of established themselves, right? And all of the twelve tribes, right? They they have a place to call home. They have kind of tentative borders set up, and like you were saying, there's at least there's no more like incursions and, the, and they, they kind of have something, they have their, their feet in the door. Right. But it, it's not like they've actually achieved um, the borders. And, and really uh, there's, there's actually some, um, I'm not sure if the Lutheran study Bible has one of these, but there's some other maps you might be able to find um, like just doing a search or something like that, but show um, at the end of Joshua, just really how much still was left over uh, to take possession of. So it's a, it's a temporary rest. It's a respite. It's a break, but it's uh, yes. it's not like Sabbath rest over the whole land yet. That's right. So it's really it is definitely a temporary thing because you do have again I reference Judges because it follows right after Joshua that you then have start having the incursions in from the other tribes and the other nations around so that you right you lose that rest. But the, right now, the problem is that they begin to well, rest on their laurels and just kind of let things slide for a while from here. Right, right. Yeah, the incursions are going to pick up. And we, we've kind of already heard, actually, about about at least one of those when, when um, Dan's territory was being narrated. Um, we It just kind of it happens so quickly that Dan loses that territory. Like it's that this rest we know does not last very long. And so it's even in um, Joshua that Joshua kind of like goes ahead and says, and and this, this, this didn't last very long. Um, so it's uh, you know, it's interesting. The word for rest here, right? It's uh, it's the word that's related to the, the name Noah, right? It's it, so it's that idea of, you know, the waters are receding and the ark, you know, comes to rest upon uh, the top of this mountain, right? Um, of course, that's not a very permanent uh, <laughs> kind of, uh, you know, situation there that we're all just going to like, you know, stay on on the ark on top of the mountain, right? You know, you, that that's not really a, a permanent solution there. It's just kind of, a, it's a break. It's a, it's a moment where at least we're not floating around on the ocean anymore. Right, and so you have, you, you again have that picture of okay, this is kind of a, this is kind of a stop, but also then becomes a, a new starting point, just like right. just like with Noah, you know, the ark resting on the mountain. Okay, that was it stopped moving, the waters were receding, but you know it was a new starting point for uh, the human race at that point, and now right. we have as they've had all the land allotted out to all the tribes, now we have kind of that that momentary rest to stop, and then a new starting point goes on as now 
they're no longer sojourners, but now they're actually landowners and trying to figure out how this works as being a real, actual free people. And not right. the slaves they were in Egypt and not the wandering around that they've done for the last generation. That, that's well put, right? It, it is, um, it, it's, it's a turning point. It's a new beginning, right? It, it's a new set of questions, a new set of uh, problems, as, as we're going to see uh, certainly in in Judges. Um, well, let's go ahead and just read this a little bit more here and then and then just kind of stop and look back on, okay, like this the situation here with these Eastern tribes who have been you know sent back home to their tents, right? As, as it's just said in verse six. So here's verses just seven to, to nine to kind of round this out. Now to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but to the other half, Joshua had given a possession beside their brothers in the land west of the Jordan. And when Joshua sent them away to their homes and blessed them, he said to them, go back to your tents with much wealth and with, with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and with much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land of which they had possessed themselves by command of the Lord through Moses. So, so right, this is just kind of recalling, I, I guess, all these details that we've really kind of already very thoroughly broken down here, just kind of reminding us, right, so it's only, you know, half of Manasseh, this East Manasseh, um, that's actually um, heading back. But it's it's not like they're heading back in um, in shame, or it's like, okay, well, you guys, you know, like I, I banish you now. It's, I mean, they're they're really being sent back, you know, with with wealth. It says, right? So, I mean, this isn't um, really any negative reflection on them at all that they're um, leaving, or and they're that they're, they're going to be further away from the rest of everybody else. This is just, you know, that this is the arrangement that they've come to, and and they're actually, it says that they're blessed by Joshua. Right, and this is where we move back to chapter 1 of Joshua, which then just recalls chapter 32 of Numbers when all of this actually takes place with Moses. And the uh, tribe of Reuben and Gad and half of Manasseh come up and say, we like the land here on this side of the river. You, know, right. you guys can go on to the other side, but you know we, you know we we like here. It's good farmland for our cattle and all this. So can we can we just have this? And right. then Moses makes the arrangement. Yes, you can have this, but you're the ones who have to lead the charge of the battle into the other side of the river. Mm-hmm. And they right. they have now, as they've a lot you know divided all the ter- all the land out, they've now completely fulfilled that obligation. So now they are able to go home with the blessing that they have done what they had vowed to do back at the beginning of the book. Now, now that part of the story is done. They can go and they can establish their own. They can now establish their land, just like their the other tribes are establishing their lands on the west side. Of the right. So you right, do have right. a great blessing there with the wealth and the livestock and all of that. So no, this is definitely not being sent off in shame. You know, go skulk off on your side of the river now. We, right. we want nothing more to do with you. This is no. And we get into that with the with the altar coming up in the second half of the chapter. That then people get worried about 
what's actually happening with this division that's really just geographical with the river there. Right, right, right. And and we see, you know, the geography is is mentioned and clarified here. And this is and this is one of the things um you know, we we have to kind of keep reminding ourselves when it talks about the 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 half tribe, right, of Manasseh, that's specifically uh talking about this east tribe here. So, I mean, it's kind of uh, the ESV. I'm not sure what's exactly going on with the ESV here and actually these last two chapters because back in chapter 21, it also was kind of being kind of funny with us there. It kept talking about, it talked about the half tribe of Manasseh back in chapter 21 as if it was like only the Levitical cities were located in the east. Um, but I don't know, it's actually just not the 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 sense of the Hebrew there the NIV gets it um, although maybe a little bit clearer but um, there's actually Levitical cities on both um, you know in the half tribe of Manasseh in the east and also the other the rest of Manasseh on the west and so it, it's just kind of um, it's actually clearer in the Hebrew for some reason um, than it is in our English translation um, but yes it's only this this east tribe uh, this east half tribe that's going back, it says, to Bashan, which is that kind of area off um, to the north and to the east of, um, it's, it's got like kind of out east of the Sea of Galilee, uh, which would have, been called, would, have, would have been called Kinnereth at the time. Um, and then Gide- uh, it says Gilead, which is that mountainous part that's um, over there east of the Jordan River. So that mountainous part and then kind of that um, like plateau area out there. Yeah, so you do. And, you know, going back and looking back uh, just quickly again, yes, they do have that where you you have the Levitical cities on both sides. And right. it's it def- definitely difficult to to keep which, when it just says the half-tribe of Manasseh, which one are we talking about? So, you know, it's, you know if, they, if they come up with, you know, another, another way of naming it, you know, picking like two of the sons of Manasseh or something and <laughs> naming one side after, you know, after each of them or something, it would be. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There, there's, be part, a there's part of you that wishes to, yeah, that's right. There, there's part of you that wishes they just called it Makir. Right. I mean, like after, I mean, the, the guy who actually went and took possession of it. Right. Um, that would have, right. that would have been in some ways easier, but despite the, it is interesting that despite the obtuseness that it kind of creates sometimes, there is, I, it seems like there's just such a, there, there's such an idea of unity, though, such a value on this unity uh, that they're going to keep using this kind of longer kind of uh, seemingly to us anyway, confusing way of putting it, right? And you see that even in the previous chapter, we didn't really talk about this, but what, when you look at the different allotments, right, you know, we, we might from our perspective be like, well, hang on a second. Why is Manasseh getting away with so much here, right? Because they basically have two tribes. So shouldn't they be contributing like, you know, eight cities to the Levites, right? But why is it that only half of them contribute two and the other half two, right? Well, again, because they are seen as one tribe. And so even though, yeah, even though they got a lot of extra land out east, right? Like that doesn't make them a different people or, or not a, the real part of Manasseh or something like that. All of them get to bear that name. And we just, and we saw that all over the last chapter, but we see it here too, that, you know, despite these differences and despite these distances, 
they're all still God's people. They're not something else. And uh, we don't want to start calling them something else. Right. Because that can then bring into well the, the whole idea of, okay, that, you know, we count, we're counting up more than 12 tribes here. We start doing the names differently. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and this is, I feel like, this uh, this is something that does it seems to, to touch on our own circumstances as well, you know, like what we call ourselves as Christians and the the labels that we sometimes um, give other Christians or that we give ourselves, right? Um, and and you know, is it really a good idea to be proliferating all of the labels, right? I mean, this uh, this of course famously goes back to Luther, right? Who um, you know, in our tradition anyway, who said that he didn't want, you know, the churches who were siding with him to be called Lutheran churches, right? And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult thing. And he was, it seems like he was kind of right <laughs> about the difficulty of the label, because to this day, people think that, oh, well, you know, there was the Catholic church, and then Luther didn't like the Catholic church, so he left and he started the Lutheran church, right? As if he started something else, Right. But kind of analogous right. to the situation here with the half tribe of Manasseh, it's like no, this wasn't this wasn't him going and starting something else, right? But rather, it's actually just the other half of the tribe. It's the other half of the church. Um, it's just it's separated, right? And you know, and of course, you get the uh, Roman Catholic apologist who then take Luther and say, see, this is why we have such a problem now with all of the proliferation of all the different types of churches out there is because, you know, Luther, instead of seeing it as the reform that he had sought for, you know, saw it as a revolt and a breaking away, which is, you know, and we'll see that again in the last half of this chapter too, is that's exactly what the Western tribes are thinking the Eastern tribes are going to do is decide to break away because you have that natural geographic boundary in between. When right. God is trying to go, especially as with the you know, calling each tribe, each of the half tribes, the half tribe of Manasseh, but you know, trying to remind them, you know, it's all one united people under him. You know, he, right. He's the one who called them out. Exactly. Exactly. So let let's go ahead then. Actually, on that note, and because we'll, we'll have time to keep talking about this idea, because I really I do think it is um, just very applicable to us, and you know, even uh, because even beyond denominations, we have special terms and associations and alliances and like minded people and Facebook groups and all the rest of it, right? Um, so we can maybe touch on some of those things, especially if we have any questions. But let's go ahead and read just a little bit more here, <clears throat> getting us into the, the second half, the stuff about this altar here of the Eastern tribes. All right. So this is picking it up then at verse 10. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. And the people of Israel heard it, and all the people of Israel heard it and said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh had built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. 
Then the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh and the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and with him ten chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of Israel, every one of them the head of a family among the clans of Israel. And they came to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh and the land of Gilead, and they said to them, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord. All right, pause there. We'll actually get to what they say when we get back after the break. But hold on. We're looking at Joshua 22 on the verge of war here. On Thy Strong Word, we'll be right back. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. Whether the heart longs for home or hope or peace, music helps the heart pray. Hear such music on the next Sing for Joy. Sundays at noon on KFUO, the messenger of good news. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Joshua chapter 22, and we're talking about going to war with each other here. We're talking about a, a civil war or something like this going on here. Uh, we were kind of already hinting at it as we we're looking at the first part of this chapter 22. You know, there's there's this idea of, you know, hang on a second. Why are they going back with all this um, stuff. There's still more land to possess, right? You know, what, what, what is going on with this other uh, half of Manasseh anyway, right? So it starts off with, you know, the suspicion, and now we're already talking about violence here. So uh, a lot going on in Joshua 22. We're joined today by Pastor Doug Minton, pastor in Twin Cities, Minnesota. I want to make sure to invite our live listeners. If you have a question for me or Pastor Minton, you can give us a call at 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850, or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. And of course, I thank our underwriters. Thank you, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, for your support, lhfmissions.org is their website. So check it out. All right. So we were just in the middle of reading this part. So they're talking about going to war. They've sent their representatives, you know, one of each of the 10, right? Because I guess, um, I guess we're counting Levi, I suppose. And so they've sent their representatives to over, over to Gilead, right? The stuff on the East side of the Jordan river. And here they are in verse 16. This is what they say. Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, 
What is this breach of faith that you've committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? Have we not had enough of the sin at Peor from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves, for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord, that you too must turn away this day from following the Lord? And if you too rebel against the Lord today, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. But now, if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take for yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us as rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, break faith in the matter of the devoted things? And wrath fell upon all the congregation of Israel? And he did not perish alone for his iniquity. Okay, what a what a speech here, right? I mean, it's uh it's one that's full of fear. It's one that's um I mean, it's it's a pretty clear threat here, right? It's uh one of accusation. So, I mean, a lot of things going on. I mean, they're they're suggesting here like, "Hey guys, don't don't be building another altar um if if it's really such a problem for you that you're so far away from, you know, the real altar." Why don't you just come back over this way and we'll we'll give you some of you know this land here. So I mean it's really interesting that this is um to such such a moment here where they're taking such an offense to this altar. So what, what what's going on? What's the what's the beef here? Well the the beef here is that they see the eastern tribes wanting to split away. And Moses had warned them back in Deuteronomy that, you know, to if there is a tribe that seeks to break away from the Lord's people, then to go and, if need be, make war with them. So this is what they are preparing to do. But mm-hmm. before they start breaking out all the weapons and everything, they send Phineas as the high priest and then the leaders of the ten tribes, including the western half of Manasseh, to then talk to them and say, okay, what, what is the deal with this altar? I mean, yes, if you are, if you do feel like the there is blockage between you and where God has put an altar at the tabernacle, then yes, we'll we'll give you part over here if that if that's an issue. Right. And I, I I find it interesting the couple of other stories they pulled back from uh, from Numbers in the beginning of Joshua, mm-hmm. where you have you know the sin of Peor, where yeah. Right at the end of Balak trying to get Balaam to curse the people, and Balaam's like, "I can't do it." But if you want to, if you want to make sure that they are cursed, do something with the religion and mix in something. And so mm-hmm. he convinced them to go in and to bring about this this idea that Baal and God and the Israelite God are the same God and can be worse either way. And I said, right. you know, even now, years and years later, we have still not cleansed ourselves from it, uh, from the plague that was there. 
Right, right. We, we still have, we still have like the stench of that sin about us still, right? You know, it's like the the Valley of Aiken is still smoldering, right? And so even with that, here we are ready to do this all over again. It, it feels um, like you were saying, it feels so much like what we had at the end of Numbers, right? And, uh, you know, if we recall back at the end of Numbers, you know, when, when as you were saying, Reuben and Gad and... Um, We'll just say Makir for right now. We go to Moses and they say, "Hey, um, can we have this territory over here on the east side? It looks really, looks really good, right?" Um, we remember Moses's response, right? Moses got angry with them and he said, "You guys, you Reubenites, what are you doing again?" Right? And he goes and he he seems to kind of reference. Um, the rebelliousness that they've shown. So you remember, right, going back in numbers, like what was Reuben up to? Well, they're the ones who are um, trying to stage that insurrection, right, against Moses and Aaron. Um, the whole thing about trying to like, hey, we're we're all going to be priests. Why is it just that, you know, Aaron and the Levites, right, have this, right? That was that was Reuben, right, who was, who was up to that. And so uh, Moses is suspicious, He's suspicious, and he thinks that they're up to it again. And it seems like, just like the way that Moses had his suspicions and his misgivings, right? Um, it seems like the people of Israel are doing the same thing. Like, hang on a second. Here you guys go again. You know, and it's interesting, right? Because where did this whole, like, Baal of Peor thing happen? Oh, that's right. On the east side of the river, right? So, I mean, there, there just seems to be, honestly, this is just straight up, like just bias, right? This is just straight up like we don't really trust this whole worship on the other side of the river idea. Um, just you guys, I mean, you're, you're not going to get it right. It's going to be bad. And isn't it interesting, in, like in, in verse 19, right? Um, Passover into the Lord's land, right? I mean, like they're, they're denying that the east side like belongs to the lord it's like no like the only only the west side is the lord's like this is the holy side your side is the uh. i mean this is just this is really just an interesting moment here they're really exposing a a very profound bias and suspicion of their brothers and they are and they and it's a, it's a deep seated one too because even when moses talks about it and you're, you know, you, you Reubenites. It's like, you're yeah. basically, you're acting just like your father. Uh-huh. And you go back into Genesis and Reuben was not exactly the greatest big brother. Right. Yeah. You know, he, he had his issues and it's like, and it just seems like it's just still trickling down one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. And it's like, here, here we go again. Because yes, yeah, uh, you know, the son of Peor, that was, in the southern area of Gilead, which is where their territory is. Right, right. So how, it's an honest question. How do how do we not know you're going back to that way of doing it, you know, going back uh, to that falsehood? Yeah. Right. It, it's yes, not – go ahead. And, and yes, the whole, you know, come over to the land of the Lord over here on the west side. It's like, well, if you go back and read God's promise to Abraham – he actually gives like everything from the Mediterranean all the way out to the Euphrates. <laughs> right. <laughs> they, 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 they never get that far out. No. Right. So, that, that, and that's, you, that's right. And then you have, then you have David in the Psalms saying, you know, the, the whole earth is the Lord's and everything right. is in it. Like there, right. there's not one, 
There's not one particular part that's more holy than the other, except for except for where God has placed his name to dwell, whether in the tabernacle or in the temple. Then, okay, you've got you've got a spot that is a bit more holy than the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, no, I I appreciate the way you're breaking it down, because, yes, I mean, it's not like, you know, they're just, I don't know, like, oh, you know, those Easterners, right? Like, (laughs) I don't know the the way that maybe like uh, city people like and uh, people who are like from the rural parts maybe are just suspicious of each other. Right. Like, I mean, it it isn't just kind of like that kind of simple thing. Yes. As you're saying, there's history. Right. Um, I mean, Moses had reasons, right, to be suspicious. Right. They have reasons to be suspicious. The the history, the stuff that's actually happened. But as you're saying, I mean, they're they're taking it too far, though. I mean, we've taken our reasons to now we are jumping um, jumping the gun here, right? And we're just assuming that they're they're ready to do this bad thing, and we're like, you know, here we are with our our, our swords and our spears, and we're ready to go to war already, right? Uh, and because we've we've gone and we've said, oh well, the west side, our side, is the really holy side that belongs to the Lord, um, not your side, you know. And, and so there we see the bias comes out, and this is just so striking to me because this feels a lot like, um, you know. We were talking about Luther earlier, right? What did he say in the explanation to the eighth commandment, right? Um, You know, he says, you know, that we should put the best construction on everything, right? Explain everything in the kindest way. Uh, you, You don't just assume that you're especially, I mean, not even just your neighbor, but I mean, um, I mean, really taking it in the stronger sense here. I mean, like your fellow believer, you shouldn't just assume that your fellow believer is sinning here, right? But I mean, that's what they have done. They they, they have they have already um, you know come to this conclusion, right? Um, even though there's been no like you know trial or um, you know evidence presented, really. Yes, it's a as I said, it's a deep seated bias that you know we see we see here with the twelve tribes. East side, west side, we see sometimes in the church. Uh, we see it played out all over the TV right now. Yeah. Because, well, it's an election year. Sure. And, well, we, we know there are two sides to the election, and neither side mm-hmm. likes the other one. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, this, is, this is just deep-seated in human nature. Right. That we, we, have, we have these biases. Right. Right, and and we're ready more more than that. We're we're ready to go to war. Right, we're ready. We're ready to fight. Um, I mean, it's 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 something, right? God has given them. Isn't that something? It's you know all this talk of God giving them rest. That's what Joshua has been saying, right? Okay, God's given you rest. Go back home. You know, hey, God's given you um, all of us rest. Right? We can we can take a few years, you know, off from war. Right? Um, just try to you know build and and settle and and plant. Right try to figure out what normal looks like, as you were saying, as, as landowners and not as sojourners, right? Um, but here we are. We're, we're already ready for it all over again and ready to go to war with our own our own kin, no less. Um, let's go ahead and, and read the rest of the story here, um, you know, because it is, it's really just something how it all works out here. We stopped at verse 20, I think it was, right? Where the last thing they brought up was, hey, guys, remember, remember, um, you know, uh, Baal of Peor, remember Achan, right? And then verse 21. 
Then the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh said in answer to the heads of the families of Israel, The Mighty One, God the Lord, the Mighty One, God the Lord, He knows, and let Israel itself know. If it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from the Lord. Or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance. No, but we did it from fear that in time to come, your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you people of Reuben and people of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord. So your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now build an altar, not for a burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. Uh, just a little, little bit more here, verses uh, through verse 29. And we thought, if this should be said to us or to our descendants in time to come, we should say, Behold the copy of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away this day from following the Lord by building an altar for burnt offering, grain offering, or sacrifice, other than the altar of the Lord our God that stands before his tabernacle. All right, all right. So they've explained themselves now, right? They've explained themselves, and it's just, it's interesting what's going on here. They're talking about their children, right? Their descendants. They're afraid of what might happen. I mean, and it seems like rightly afraid because, yeah, there are some uh, biases going on here. And over time, what might those biases turn into, right? And so they're, they're clarifying here, hey, look, this altar, we, we weren't going to like try to make this a competing altar, right, with the one that's in the tabernacle. We weren't going to say like, oh, well, you have the tabernacle. Well, we have our own tabernacle, right, you know, as if there's something else. No, they're saying it's not for that. It's just for witness between us and you. What, what, do, you, what do you make of that idea, this, this kind of this—it also said like this copy idea, this witness idea? Well— uh well, first, you know, it's interesting that they make it basically like a copy of the one that goes with the tabernacle. Yeah. yeah. And and specifically not for sacrifice. Right. Because they were, they, they built it because of what might happen in the future, which is actually happening now. Right. Because, you know, you have, you have in their speech, you know, if, if this is a problem, come over to the Lord's side of the river. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Reuben and Gad and the half of Manasseh on the east side are all thinking, okay, this might become an issue in the future. We we need something to say no, that we are one united people under God, all worshiping the same God. Mm-hmm. And so we we build this altar as a witness between us, not, as you said, not competing, not even for the use in worship, just a reminder that when you look across the, the river 
and see this altar, you know, it, you know, the same, the same people live on that side that live on this side. Mm-hmm. That we're, that there's, there's nothing different between us other than you know, our, our tribal heritage. Right. And we all, that we're all worshiping the same Lord and all wanting to do it in the same way. It's just, we're worried that this is going to happen years from now. Right. And then it's like, hang on, looks like it's happening today. <laughs> right. Um, you know, so yeah. So it's not as if their fears were unfounded. And uh, oh, I mean, it's not. And it's really something too, right? Because, you know, here's, here's, uh, you know, the Eastern tribes and they're like, well, you know, we, we don't think it's a problem right now, but it could become a problem later. Right. Which uh, you think about that kind of perspective, that seems a lot more charitable than the Western tribes perspective, right? Because the Western tribes aren't looking at this altar being like, hmm, you know, that could become a problem down the road, right? Like, you know, maybe it's okay right now, but maybe in time they're like, you know what, let's go ahead and, you know, light it up, right? And and that could become a problem down the road. So we should, you know, just, you know, talk to them about that and just make sure that we can kind of, you know, head that off, right? Nip that in the bud. Uh, no, that they have just gone ahead and said, oh no, like it's time for a war. So, I mean, it really con- contrasts the uh, the two different perspectives and how charitable we're, we're willing to be. And, and, it, and it highlights in the midst of all of this, um, the importance of location, right? Because it was a big deal that there was this particular altar in this particular tabernacle where God had made himself present, um, which, you know, as, as we said, was right now it was in Shiloh and Ephraim, but in time was going to find its way down in Benjamin, right? Like it mattered that this was in that one particular spot. And the, even though these guys were all the way out in the East, they're saying, Hey guys, we, we were willing to make the distance, you know, make the trek all the way out over to the West side. Every time we wanted to do these offerings, we were, we were going to do that. We were willing to, this was just a reminder that we're the same, right? So it's, it, it really is something it just on, on both sides, right? Like just, Hey, you know, we're all the same, right? But it does matter that there is a particular place, there's a particular um, way that God has made himself known and made himself especially present. Right. And you see, you see that charitableness on the east side is that, no, we understand that there will be issues. We, we understand this may look to be something different. But it's not. I mean, go back to where we just were a few years ago in conquering all of this land that is on your side of the river. We were the ones at the front because that's what Moses made us promise to do. Right. You trusted us to go help you claim your land. Trust us that we're still that we're still holding up the same the same standard for ourselves and our honesty and our uh, nobility that we're not trying to compete or do something different. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, right. So, so here's, 
here's the the tension, right? There's 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 bias. There's there's assumptions. There's there's fears, right? There's a lot. There's a lot of things going on here, um, circling around this idea of uh, of of presence and lo- and location and and unity. So now the question is, you know, how is this going to actually all shake out here? What what's the solution, right? Like, who, how are these two? different perspectives and these two different sets of fear is going to be reconciled. So let's go ahead and uh, take a look at the, the rest of the chapter. And then I, I think we can kind of get back to that thought we were kind of on earlier that, you know, this does speak to uh, our contemporary issues. I mean, significantly. So, I mean, here, so here it is. We left it off at verse 30 here or 29, sort of picking up at verse 30. When Phineas, the priest and the chiefs of the congregation, the heads of the families of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh spoke, it was good in their eyes. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, said to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh, Today we know the Lord is in our midst, because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Now you have delivered the people of Israel from the hand of God. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and the chiefs returned from the people of Reuben and the people of Gad in the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan to the people of Israel and brought back word to them. And the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the land where the people of Reuben and the people of Gad were settled. The people of Reuben and the people of Gad called the altar witness for, they said, it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. So yes, yeah, war, war averted, crisis averted, right? Um, it, it's just it's fast. We we have this uh, this very interesting phrase in Hebrew, right? And the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel. And um, earlier, right, that it was good in the eyes of Phineas and the leaders, right? Um, you see this phrase throughout the Old Testament. I mean, you see it actually very often um, with God, that something was bad in his eyes or good in his eyes. It's a Hebrew idiom that means, um, you know, that God was was pleased by it, or in this case, that the people were pleased by it. And uh, it's really something, it's striking to me that, you know, despite these biases, right, that they actually listened to what the other side was saying and changed their minds, right? Like they actually said, huh, okay. Well, that, no, that's actually, that's really good. Okay. All right. Okay. We don't, we, we can call this off. Right. Um, and just, you know, as you were saying earlier, just, it feels so often today, like we're just so polarized that it just doesn't matter what the other side says. I mean, will it ever be good in our eyes? Right. So just, I mean, certainly God was in their midst, um, not, just uh, to to clarify things, right? But to make them receptive to hear the words of their brothers, right? And that polarization is kind of what is going on in even my own life uh, right now. That makes my story a little different from most of the other guests that come on to Thy Strong Word. Mm. Is I I am a pastor. I am living up in the Twin Cities right now, but not serving a congregation. Uh, and so I, I get to work the secular jobs, two of them mm-hmm. right now, 
and mm-hmm. fill in on uh, occasion for brother pastors as they need pulpit supply. Now it's been a great mm-hmm. blessing, but you get, you get that polarization. It's like, okay, well, this guy's a pastor, but he doesn't have a church. Just like now we have an altar, but it's not going to be used for sacrifice. And that, right. it, it, it's something that's strange in the eyes of the people. But then mm-hmm. once, once it's understood that, okay, okay, it is good. And okay, we can, we can move on from here without just the knee jerk reaction. Right. That, right. That, oh, and so I, I have opportunities like that to, to come on here to do this and, you know, hopefully be a blessing to someone else uh, as we're, they're studying along with us. And also uh, to be able to keep my own pastoral skills sharp as I do. I, right. I have my own podcast that I, that I work with uh, wrestling right. with theology, okay. which, you know, is, is a great thing. Cause some of the, like some of these uh, chapters, like chapter 22, it's like, okay, we really have to wrestle with what exactly is, boiling down the issue here because right. you have so much stuff from the history of the people as they're wandering through it. It's like, okay, you know, okay. People are okay. That's an easy one. We can find Aiken. Okay. We know that story. That's been rather recent, but some of the rest of it's like, okay, why is it that they just automatically pick up arms? Well, right. Moses told them to, and, and it's just yeah. fascinating. Yeah. All the different, things going on in the background that we have to try to figure out how all of this fits in our 21st century mind. That's right. Yes. No, thank you for sharing with us your story. I think it is so applicable to what we have going on. May there not be mistrust uh, among us, even among our own LCMS, right? Just because it's Missouri, right? That doesn't mean we have anything against the coasts, right? Or anything else. Let's be careful of that. God give us hearts that put the best construction on things. Thank you so much, brother. Until next time. Everybody, that was Pastor Doug Minton of the Twin Cities of Minnesota. I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa. Until next time, peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.